welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Team Builder. Team Builder is the premier strength and conditioning app for baseball teams. Team Builder is used by 11 organizations in Major League Baseball. Baseball coaches from travel to college teams can write training programs or choose from pre-designed training programs built by professional baseball strength coaches, all for as low as $50 per month. Personally, we used Team Builder when I was coaching at Western Illinois University. It's very user-friendly and streamlines all of your programming. It also makes training sessions on or off campus easier to access for your athletes. Right now, when you start a 14-day free trial, use promo code ABCA to receive four free baseball-specific strength and conditioning training programs directly into your account. In just one click, you can set your team up with a professionally designed strength training program delivered to every player's mobile app every single day. You can reach out to Hewitt Tomlin over at Team Builder on Twitter at T-E-A-M B-U-I-L-D-R, or on their website at www.teambuilder.com or via phone at 240-528-7848 and let Hewitt know that the ABCA sent you. And now on to the ABCA podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast are Blake Beamer, Kenny Fullman, and Edwin Thompson. Blake is the recruiting coordinator at Ball State University. He's also had stops at Penn State and Eastern Illinois. Played collegiately at Ball State and was a three-year captain for the program. Edwin is the head coach at Eastern Kentucky University. He coached with Team USA for four seasons and has had coaching stops at Georgia State, Duke, Bates College, and the University of Maine Farmington. Played collegiately at Howard, Maryland, and Weber State. Kenny is one of the founders of Chicago White Sox ACE program. He's on the ABCA Travel Committee. He coached at Harlan Academy for 24 years. He's an Illinois High School Baseball and Kentucky State University Athletics Hall of Famer. Kenny has also been with the Chicago Police Department for 25 years. In this episode, we keep the conversation going on how to help society and baseball. We get three great perspectives here from a college assistant, college head coach, and an ex-high school and travel coach. Let's welcome all three to the podcast. Here with uh, Blake Beamer, recruiting coordinator at Ball State, uh, Kenny Fullman. Kenny, I got a lot on you. 2007 program, since 2007, been the program manager of the Chicago White Sox ACE program. Uh, you're on the ABCA Travel Committee. Uh, been with the Chicago Police Department for 25 years. I uh, was a head coach at Harlan uh, Academy for 24 years and also Illinois High School Baseball Hall of Famer since 2016 and then Kentucky State University Athletics Hall of Famer. Uh, since 2018 and then Edwin Thompson head coach at Eastern Kentucky so thank you guys for for jumping on with me today thanks thank for having you me very much yeah and you know Carrick and Juan and I talked a little bit last week but I wanted to I wanted to bring some more guys on just to get some more perspectives and I think the more people that we can get involved with this the the more change we're going to affect and I do want to jump in with the same question that I asked Carrick last week and you know, we recorded, and then that night um, I'm watching on Twitter, and Matthew McConaughey was on there with Emmanuel Ochoa, who runs the Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man uh, Twitter account, and he's he's had some great conversations going. Um, and so I asked Carrick, you know, as you know, especially as a white man's perspective, if we're in conversation, you know, with descriptors. Is black acceptable, African-American, minority, or nothing? Um, you know, from my perspective, hopefully you get to a point where it's nothing. But then Emmanuel talked about the term African-American and just with some negative connotations from a slavery standpoint. But what are your guys, uh, you know, what are your guys' views on it? I'm, I'm fine with any of them. I'm fine with black. I'm from, I was born in the 70s. I'm fine with being an African-American. I'm a minority also. So I'm, I'm fine with any of them. Uh, from my perspective, I mean, each individual is different. I'm not going to uh, say what anybody else should say or whatever anybody else should think, but I'm fine with any of them. Blake, myself. I, I, I'm the same way. I think uh, any and all of them can be 
can be fine. Uh, I think it's more how you use words um, and, and how you're saying it. If, if you're describing somebody as a black guy, that's fine. But if you're saying it's, man, he's that, that black guy over there and you're trying to put something on it, I think it can be different. Um, so it's more how you use different words. But I, again, I think uh, as long as the intent behind them is right, I think that's, that's the main focus. Edwin. Yeah, I would say the same, disrespectful. I mean, that, that how, however you say it, just as long as you're respecting me as a person, as a man, that, that's really the most important part for me. Uh, I think we've all been called different things at different times. So um, just most, mostly be respectful. Kenny, I'll start with you. Who are some of your mentors growing up, or did you have any that kind of helped you through the process with the, the baseball side of things? Well, first and foremost, uh, my father was my mentor. Uh, he played baseball, and I – and uh, he taught me the game of baseball. We were in the backyard playing. Uh, sadly, I lost my uh, father to uh, gang violence. Uh, he was shot and killed when I was 12, breaking up some kids fighting. So uh, the guy who started our Little League, Jack Robinson West Little League, uh, me and his son became best friends, uh, Joseph Haley. And that became my mentor, father-like figure for pretty much most of my adolescence life. So uh, he got me into coaching, actually, he got me, uh, started me coaching at the age of 14. So uh, that was my first coaching job, coaching my little brother's team because they didn't have any coaches. So I started coaching his eight-year-old baseball team at 14. So he pretty much was the, the mentor I had most of my adolescent life and uh, and pretty much set me on my path in the game of baseball. So that's my, those are my two biggest mentors. Kenny, before your dad passed, what were some of the conversations you guys would have as far as navigating society at, at that time? Well, you know, he just always said, uh, be careful, be mindful, uh, be careful who you trust, uh, always uh, uh, be be respectful and polite, but also be mindful that everybody isn't always uh, going to be what you think they are. So just, just always keep your eyes open. Blake, what about your mentors? Yeah, uh, same. My dad, um, my dad coached college baseball at Wright State and Bowling Green in the 90s. Um, and just, so he's always, I mean, I tell everybody he loves baseball more than he loves me. And there's a little doubt about that in anybody's mind who knows my dad. My um, dad's the exact same. And, and I'm, I'm good with it. it and he's, he's instilled the love of the game in me. And, uh, and obviously the coaching side, I always wanted to be like him. So I got that from him. What about Rich Maloney? He's awesome. I mean, he's another, he's a father figure as well. I mean, I played for, Played for Beals at Ohio State. Played for Marconi, who went to Kent, and then and Coach Maloney. Um, all three great individuals, and learning under under Coach Maloney. Uh, he's as good of a as good of a human being as they come. Um, I, I coached so Alex really in the Cape. I don't know if you knew that Alex. I did not. Alex Marconi played for me at Falmouth. Okay, he's a good player. Awesome. Really good player. Yeah. Edwin, what about you? What were some mentors? Who are some mentors? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm traditional. I think my dad, he was born in Northeast DC back in the fit, you know, back in the thirties. And so he lived it and, um, he passed away when I was 19, but, uh, was a hall of fame and football player at Delaware state university. And so, you know, from a young age, he always just, he always coached our community, our sports or my teams. And then I, I was able to do some coaching when I was 12, he started letting me coach some uh, our hockey team. Um, and so he, he let me coach that. And then, um, it was always kind of just always, as far as navigating through society, it was just about, um, understand people are always going to view you as a, as a black man. And that's the reality of it. No matter how successful you be, no matter what you end up being, you know, I was, I was a young age. I remember I was like 12, 13 years old and we were in North Philadelphia and we went to a Phillies game and he, he brought me over and this is what it's going to look like if you don't take care of academically. And, you know, I was at a point, you know, middle, middle school, I was kind of a knucklehead and uh, he just kept it on, kept it honest. And, one, and, and that was kind of a point um, for me. And then when I got to coaching, um, you know, I wouldn't really have an opportunity. Like I wouldn't it without, um, you know, a guy named Dick Meter, who was a university of Maine at Farmington, a long time coach gave me my first four years uh, as I gave me a, a thousand dollar stipend job that I worked at division three school and let me make a lot of mistakes, but, um, learn. And then Sean McNally kind of gave me my break, um, hiring. I was the first, um, African-American coach ever in the ACC recruiting coordinator to Duke. And so that kind of took me on a path that, you know, from there, I went, Greg Frady, who's, um, at Georgia state hired me as well. So they took a chance on somebody that didn't look like them, but they were really good mentors along the way, just in, in not almost so much baseball, but it's also in life too. Blake and Edwin, 
you guys have been on both sides now, you know, because Edwin, you're at Duke and Blake, you're at Penn State. For you guys, the biggest difference between a Power Five school and a mid-major school? I just think it's the money, um, the the resources, and the money, uh, and with the money becomes the the notoriety. Uh, I mean, everybody's heard of Duke, everybody's heard of Penn State. Um, not everybody in California's heard of Ball State University, um, and that's okay. And that's that's the difference. I think there's a a different kid that you get when you're at a mid major. Again, I played in a mid major. I I I've seen that, um, but having seen what Power Five schools have in terms of the, the resources, in terms of the name and the draw there. Um, it's just different. No better, no worse. But I think that's the biggest biggest separator between the two. Edwin, what do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the financial part, uh, you can't really match, um, you know, what, what budgets and all those type of things have. But I think the, uh, the support, you know, so I, I think within that financial part, but also the support um, – in some ways can some, in some places can be better than at, at, at a mid-major. Like I know our, our support at, at, at EKU compared to when I was at Duke, which is only, you know, six or seven, eight years ago was a lot different from the community uh, in baseball, you know, so we got a lot of people that really like baseball in our area and really support above baseball. So I think there's positives to a mid-major, but I think uh, like anybody, obviously they're going to have a little more depth traditionally, or at least on paper than mid-majors. And I think that's kind of where, uh, as, as outside of the financial part, that those are those are the biggest ones that I would say is a depth from a playing standpoint. You know, I thought parts of it were harder. I got to Iowa in 2003, and back then kids weren't committing as early, so a lot of kids were still taking their visits. And sometimes you didn't know if a kid was coming to Iowa just to take the visit to watch a football game. Or if they were really interested, and I think maybe sometimes the early recruiting, and then going to Western, like kids would be like, "Coach, I, I like you, but but no thanks. Like I'm not coming to Western." So I thought at times it was maybe a little bit easier because you got told no a little bit earlier <laughs> from, from that from a, rec- that from a recruiting standpoint. Um, do you guys miss outside organizations winter camps? I was thinking about that. I think that's probably where the three of us met along the way was in the winter camp setting. Do you guys miss any of that? I like it because it's something to do. I, it's, I, I'm not much for sitting on the couch in, in November. I'd rather be somewhere doing baseball. Um, and I just think it's a great time to, to grow the game. Uh, and more even, just like you said, to, to meet other coaches. Uh, I think that part of it's huge. Um, bouncing different ideas off guys, meeting different guys, honing in on how you want to teach things to your guys. Uh, I think I use those camps as a great uh, tester of different drills that I'd either been told about or, or came up with, and let's see if it works. And, and I enjoyed that part of it, and I definitely wish we had uh, had some leeway to do things nowadays. Edwin, what do you think? Yeah, um, as an assistant, I missed it because I enjoyed um, just working and making a stipend, but as a family, I have a family, so – I think it's great. I feel I feel for my assistants. I feel for like Blake and young assistants that don't get a chance to network. I made I'm so many connections during that time in my coaching career, where where I was coming up through and I was meeting everyone I could to network and to grow and to learn. Like Blake said, and I think that part of it, selfishly, yeah, I miss that aspect of it. But from a from a life standpoint, I, I'm definitely enjoying being with my family when I can. And you know, we're always gone. And, and so I think, but there's the 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 it got to a point where people are taking abuse of, of coaches, honestly. And then just, you know, making sure we kind of felt like we had to be at these events where when at first, at least when I first started, you know, 15 years ago, whatever, it was more like, this is here for like a tool and make some extra money, but also get some kids and get some names and kind of get into the season. So it got to the point where it got a little too big for, I think what it was in my opinion, but Kenny, what about your perspective on that though? Cause I, I mean, I saw a ton of ACE kids in the, in the winter camp circuit and from a, I think from a player's perspective, the winter camps allowed you to get around a bunch of different coaches and see if you actually meshed with a coach and his coaching style. I think that's one of the things that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit there too, is kids, kids can feel out whether a guy actually works with them, whether he doesn't work with them. Kids can feel that out a little bit too. Well, it was a little bit more intimate setting, especially for the kids, the demographics that I deal with. Uh, trying to get, uh, it, it allowed us to get more into the college coaches and recruiting coordinators' comfort zone uh, to make them comfortable recruiting our kids, where they could actually talk to the kids and work with them. And you could work with mass number of coaches 
at, at, at one place uh, during those camps. Uh, we really miss the camps. Uh, now, a lot of our kids, we have to send them to individual schools, camps, instead of having that one place uh, where we had numerous coaches there at one time to work and talk with our kids and uh, build, build relationships. Uh, you know, those camps can be costly trying to go to everybody's individual camp, uh, especially with the demographics that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Kenny, how much life skill stuff are you doing with the ACE program? And, and we can get into the history here a little bit later on. How, what are you guys doing life skills-wise with your guys with the ACE program? Well, we do a ton of life skill uh, stuff with our kids. We talk, teach them how to look the, get people in the eyes, uh, handshakes, firm handshakes, uh, to be as articulate as possible, uh, understanding uh, the game of baseball, the five tools, the stuff that the college coaches uh, will want you to talk about with them, uh, understand your strengths and your weaknesses, and just understand how to be better people overall to succeed in life, not just in the game of baseball. You know, one of our main goals is to use baseball as a stepping stone to help you further your education, but also better yourself in life. Blake, last time you and I talked, you said you were going to do something with the Ball State program. What were you setting up for them from a diversity standpoint? Yeah, I think uh, for us, I mean, we're a predominantly white institution. We don't have any any guys of color. Um, uh, we've got some coming in, but what we did, we just had open dialogue um, on back-to-back occasions uh, where I just explained kind of what it's like to – to be a black guy in a white world. And that's what baseball is. Um, in Muncie, Indiana, I mean, it's, it's pretty country sometimes. That's just the reality of it. And so we had guys who haven't had a black teammate at all. Um, and so when I was explaining to them, like guys, like every time we walk on the field, I'm the only black guy with you guys. Like they've never been the only white guy in a room full of black people. Um, and that's just something that's small, but you notice and just trying to give our guys a little bit different perspective. Um, not that I think they'll ever appreciate where I come from, I'll ever appreciate where they come from, but just having the understanding that there's a whole bigger world than our own world individually. And hopefully um, opening guys' eyes to thinking in a different way and, and getting them used to, to, to more people, just because I think the understanding and having the open conversation, I think it's important. Uh, and it was cool. I mean, guys, they're quiet. It's simple things like they don't know if, if you should call African-American, black, minority. Um, so they don't want to say anything, but you can see them progress to being open about, okay, and asking questions about what it's like and different things. Um, so I just think having, having that type of conversation is important, uh, especially if you don't have uh, uh, black guys on your team, um, just so your eyes can be open to it a little bit. Edwin, what about you? What type of training are you doing with your squad? Yeah. Um, well, in the fall, we do a lot um, life skills. We call it a uh, mindset uh, with Coach T, whatever day it works on, whether it be Friday, we talk about, um, like Kenny talked about, how to shake someone's hand, how to look someone in the eye, how, how to write a check, how to, how to look, you know, get an apartment, um, what credit is, talk about some life stuff, um, how to treat a woman. Um, those are important things to me. I have a daughter, so they know that, and that's part of the recruiting process. Like, understand that when you come here, that's what you expect to do and how you treat people. Um, and everything had to deal with cops, black, white. Um, you know, our, our roster is pretty diverse. Like this, this fall, we'll have 17 um, people of color, black uh, and Latin players. Um, and we'll have five or six black coaches on our staff um, between, you know, our, cell, our, our coaches and our, our graduates managers and everything. So, you know, we're very diverse. And, you know, it's like the opposite. Like what Blake said, a lot of our kids, we had a conversation yesterday. Um, they never played with any black players. And that was a, a change we have. We had 13 or 14 black players this, this fall, this you know, this year um, on our roster out of 35. So it was kind of like, they're like, this is different. But that was great conversation and open and honest dialogue. And I think during this period of time that's going on in our country, you know, I've tried to, we've, we've met uh, three or four times about, and just let them talk. Um, what happened last week in Atlanta to, you know, uh, George Floyd, everything in between, obviously right in Louisville, we had Brianna Taylor's right around the corner from us. So these are real conversations that we've had. And we've had some really good dialogue. And I think, there's no right answer. There's no blueprint to this. Uh, all we try to do is provide an opportunity, a platform to talk about in certain situations, how you do things that can at least prevent, hopefully something tragic happening, no matter, um, you know, what, what you look like, you know, just how to do things in, in a way. So 
we try to do that comprehensively, obviously during the year, but then obviously right now we've had a lot of time to, to address that, those, those type of issues. Kenny, and you've been on the police force for 25 years. What are your conversations like with, with helping players navigate, you know, say they get pulled over or whatever, helping them navigate those situations? Well, we tell them to be smart, be cautious, be smart. Uh, one of the things, you know, I try to tell the kids on the street, there's, there's no win. There's it's a no win situation there for you. Be smart. Uh, do what you need to do. Just like any African-American kid, you tell them, keep your hands on the steering wheel, look forward, uh, 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 be polite, be smart. Uh, you can always uh, fight, it in, fight a ticket in court or do what you need to do later. But at that time, just be smart. Is there a way for sports to help with these situations that are going on right now? I asked that last week. It, can sports help or are we beyond that right now and we need something different? I don't know if sports will end, you know, but I think players' voices, coaches' voices, um, you know, change only comes by by communication. I think like all of us in our programs individually, all the ABCA coaches out there have conversations, have dialogue, have honest and genuine. And if you don't know, learn, educate yourself. I think those are areas that, um, you know, the unknown is always is always scary. But if you know something you can you can have a, a plan of, of to do to change some things and i think sports can be utilized in a lot of different avenues like kenny talked about maximizing the opportunity in life to get your foot in door education to get a degree to get your you know that, that life opportunity so i think there's ways but to change it completely i don't know the sports would be uh, be one aspect of the change i think to, to be honest that's just my thoughts just from a locker room standpoint man i and you, being in the locker room, you are going to be around different backgrounds, uh, not just white, black, but you are going to be rich, poor. You're going to be around a lot of different lifestyles and, and different backgrounds, kids with both parents, kids with no parents, uh, kids with one parent. So I, I think that that maybe brings a little bit of a common bond um, with with guys when you're in a locker room together. But again, there's no there's no right answers right now just I think we got a long way to go which is sad to think about 2020 where we're at and we still have a, a long way to go for that Kenny can you talk about the history of the ace program just how it started and then some of the difference you know you look you've got to be proud I mean you got Corey Ray Alec Thomas and then Ed Howard but you've had a lot of guys drafted but more importantly you've had a ton of guys go to college and graduate and get their degrees can you just talk about the history of the ace program well uh me and nathan durst uh, our national cross checker for the white Sox, we were uh we, we had a we had a player that we thought should have been ranked or should have been looked at uh, uh we felt maybe was not exposed enough and so we we thought that hey we need to do something to get these kids more exposure uh, so that they'll be able to go to the schools of their liking instead of having to go places because that's the only place or option that they had. So uh, Nathan Durst uh, uh, took the proposal into the White, White Sox front office uh, to start the program. And we started the program in the uh, summer of 2007. And, and, and it was a Chicagoland minority-based program in which uh, we, we we wanted to put the kids out on the mainstream to level the playing field. Uh, we wanted to uh, in, uh, to make sure that they had the fundamental teachings to be great baseball players, play them in uh, elite tournaments, and uh, just teach them the game overall. So, and, and um, we thought that the more that we exposed them and uh, put them in front of uh, college coaches, the more comfortable the college coaches would be recruiting them. We wanted to get inside the, the college coaches' comfort zone uh, because they weren't recruiting our kids. And uh, we just wanted to get, uh, give them a stepping stone to be able to further their education and go to the school that they wanted to go to. We, we, we've had over 200-plus college uh, uh, kids get college scholarships to play baseball at the next level. We've had uh, two first-round draft picks with Ed Howard and Corey Ray and Alec Thomas in the second round. So we're, we're doing pretty good. Uh, never would have imagined that we'd be doing this well this quick. But uh, like I said, uh, we have a, a great program. Uh, the White Sox and White Sox Charities, they fund the program 100%. Uh, Mr. Ryan's door of Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn, uh, uh, 
uh, Christine O'Reilly, Scott Reifert, all of them that they fund the program. Uh, we have tutoring from the University of Chicago for ACT prep. We have elementary school tutoring. So we, uh, we have all facets of the academic and athletic uh, parts uh, taking place within the program. And, you know, Nathan Durst is our national cross checker. So he's heavily involved, you know, as, as, as a founder and, and also a mentor to our kids also. So it's, uh, you know, it's a very important, you know, Robert Fletcher, we have a recruiting coordinator and Robert Fletcher and Anthony Olivo is the senior manager of, of all community baseball initiatives in the front office. So we have a whole team of people working together to help these kids uh, get to the next level of playing baseball. And, uh, and it's, it's a little different than just the regular everyday RBI program because, you know, the, the front office is heavily involved within the, the program. It's not just a, a program in which they throw money at. It's a program that they're all heavily involved. I think Devin Pickett's a great example. We had him at Iowa. And um, can you talk about Devin a little bit? I, he's a wonderful person. He's doing great things right now. Well, that's another part, part of the program. We were also trying to uh, get more of our ex-players in the front office job. We have a day in which, you know, the kids follow behind some of the front office personnel. And Devin was one of our former players who went to go play at the University of Iowa, which guys. And uh, he's now uh, working in the baseball operations department for the Chicago White Sox. And he's just an exceptional kid. He had an exceptional uh, a background. His parents were very supportive. He was very intelligent. And he fit the correct mold. To, to, to do what he's doing now. He's hard working. I only wish him the best. You know? So uh, we see Devin all the time. He comes to practice. He works with the kids. He talks to the kids. So it's, it's very helpful. Kenny, what about an area that doesn't have a Major League Baseball team? Is there a way that they could start a program like that? I know you guys get a lot of help from the White Sox, but is there a, a way to, to grow that in an area that doesn't have a Major League organization? Well, uh, at the end of the day, travel baseball is very expensive. So, so you have to go out into your community and try to get some support from some type of uh, organization to help fund uh, tournaments uh, growing more and more uniforms and stuff and equipment. Also, uh, even you know the practice times, the funding you would need you would need some type of funding. I know Major League Baseball and RBI program has programs that are not in uh, Major League Baseball cities or areas. So you can also try to get grants from uh, Tony Regans and the, the Baseball Tomorrow Fund and, and those people also. And we have a partner here, sponsorship, Turn 2 for Youth, and they'll be on later on. But anybody that's listening that, that isn't an area that is in need – reach out to us at the ABCA. Uh, you can reach out to me at rbrownlee at abca.org, um, and we can get you hooked up with the Turn 2 for Youth program because they have warehouses all over the United States that has equipment. So we can get equipment shipped to, to areas and to, to athletes that need it, that are in need. So anybody listening in, if you need help, uh, reach out to us. What are some actionable things that, that we can do um, as a society that kind of help this process on the field, but also away from the field as well? I think actionable is always the, the good question. Um, first, I think you have to have conversations. You have to put yourself uh, in, in, in a different light. Uh, you have to understand that there are implicit biases uh, when it comes to hiring people, when it comes to recruiting, uh, when it comes to uh, like Kenny said, um, getting out and, and getting comfortable with people who may not look like you. Uh, like Coach Thompson has done a great job um, in getting guys from all over uh, that are all different and very diverse backgrounds. And he's done it intentionally. I think he would understand, like, that's an intentional thing because he, he knows it's going to help his roster. Um, but more people, I think, have to be intentional to do that. Um, it starts with conversation. It starts with, I think uh, – letting yourself understanding yourself that there are implicit biases in everybody um, and trying to figure out what you can do and educate yourself uh, to try and get beyond those. Uh, I think it's important. How do we get people to recognize their implicit biases? First, I can tell you is just talking about it. Cause I, and I, I had to do research to learn more um, at the diversity committee and the ABCA was the first time I'd ever heard the, the term uh, this past winter. Um, I don't think that's, well known enough like the diversity community that the abca has 
like it's not talked about. It's, it's not up there enough where more people can learn um, just how to help a little bit more. What a, uh, give an example. Cause somebody listening in who hears the term who may not know what it is, give examples of what implicit biases are. Uh, the one I, I just heard was um, you have two resumes. Uh, you got Joe Smith and you got Jamal Howard. Uh, Joe Smith resume got hired uh, like 70% more, something like that, um, just by name. So it's just what, what headhunters were taking, same resume. They, they took the, the name they're more comfortable with, um, like stuff like that that you, you're conditioned to. Um, think about media and think about television shows. Um, Sanford and Sons plays a, a black family in the ghetto. Like uh, Good times. Good times, same yep. thing. Yeah. Um, facts of life. I mean, you have the one black girl trying to figure out and be saved. Same with, uh, what you're talking about, Willis, like saved by white, uh, white family. Uh, it's ingrained from a young age to, to think a certain way. You may not even realize it. Uh, and so I think trying to learn more and, and understanding that's going to be important. Yeah. Are we talking about trying to change in college baseball or just baseball in general from coaching standpoint? Um, you know, I think, I started off at division three school. I went to an HBCU. Um, you know, I think if coaches look outside of a box, that's not what they're used to, then you're going to find a lot of really talented coaches. I think that, that, that can start the conversation. And if you're, if people are serious about it and intentional about it, you know, I've hired somebody that's had, whether been, um, been at a smaller school, uh, division three school and worked at a division three school that have now have moved on and done really great things or been at a head coach at an HBCU, my recruiting coordinator, Julius McDougal, you know, so I think it comes down to um, how do you change it? You have to like, like when Sean McNally hired me to Duke, you know, I was a division three head baseball coach. And I went to Duke university and we had back-to-back top 25 recruiting classes or, you know, whatever it was. Why I never had division one experience, but he knows good people and, and, and same thing. So I think as leaders, as head coaches, and I only speak for me, I can hire who I want, you know, and, and I think um, in the past I, I've been, there's jobs that I've applied for as an assistant coach that I don't know why I didn't get it or didn't have a chance to get an interview. And there's a lot of questions about that. It's one other conversation, but I think when people have a position to hire people look outside of themselves and if they're serious about it, they will. If not, they won't. And I think the same thing with recruiting players. I mean, I, I think I have Kenny. I think I have three guys on our roster right now or two guys coming, maybe four or five on, on our roster from the ACE program. So I'm intentional to where and how I go about it. And, I, and that's just me. I can't speak for all the other coaches out there. And, you know, hey, you know, my models work pretty well. We've been we're 12 and two before the break beat LSU on a Friday night, you know, with a lot of players that didn't look like the LSU players. And that's a fact. And so I think if you have those conversations, like Blake says, but then you put behind that some action, I think you, you can actually have a lot of a create, create a lot of change um, with things. I was but on hiring committees at, at Western because it's all hands on deck there. So you had to fill in on a lot of different things that maybe some administrators would do. So, you know, again, you're trying to take some of that out. And I never really looked at the names. You're looking at just what the, the qualifications are. And there are certain things that you have to go through. And especially at a state school, there's certain qualifications that, that people have to meet. Um, but that was an interesting thing for me to be on those search committees to try to bring in, either whether it's administrator or a coach uh, to Western. So that opened up a little bit as far as how that that goes through anybody else that is kind of wondering about maybe some implicit biases the undoing project is a very, really good book uh, that goes in uh, they talk a lot about the houston rockets and how they changed uh, their draft process and what they did is they took the names off the drafting process so they have metrics for who they draft and they completely took the names off of it so the scouts in the draft room have no idea they just go off what the numbers are which i think is probably a way if you want to try to take some of that out you can get rid of of some of that as well can you talked about the cost are there anything else anything else out there besides cost maybe lack of scholarships at the division one level that are, are hurting minorities getting a chance to go on and play at the next level uh because we don't get full scholarships it is it's a detriment sometimes uh, when when talking to parents, especially who uh, play uh, multiple sports, football and basketball. It hurts. But the biggest thing is, is just opportunity. Uh, 
a lot of times uh, I think that there's some type of uh, bias about recruiting our kids. Uh, the term we used to hear a lot when we first started the program was that they were raw or something of that sort. So that's why we tried our best to try to get into the coaches' comfort zones so that they would recruit our kids. And and and, and now, you know, you're seeing uh, a lot of African-American kids at the, at the collegiate level, power five level, that can play baseball, even in the draft. But it's a lot more out there uh, who can play. They just need to be given the opportunity not to be looked upon as uh, African-American or black baseball players, but just good baseball players. And, and that's all we ask for is that – uh, that they give us the opportunity to uh, uh, earn those uh, athletic scholarships at the collegiate baseball level. Uh, you know, the numbers can be better. There are players out there that that, that can play baseball. And uh, a lot of times when they don't come and recruit in our areas, it's, it's a sense of hope, hopelessness uh, as far as wanting to play the game. Uh, a lot of times we our kids just get fired up just seeing a scout or seeing a college coach coming to the area uh, looking to recruit our kids. And so, you know, we have to uh, just give our kids the same opportunity that you would give any other uh, baseball player. And that, that's all That's all we ask for in our community. Edwin, you're a good example of making it work. How are you making it all work? Because, I mean, you're not getting any more money than anybody else is. So how are you yeah. making it work with your roster? Well, you know, you have good connections. You know, I think you have good people in your network that you can trust. And when you call a coach, you're going to say, Hey, what is this guy? How is this guy going to help? You know, I always, I have a picture of my family on my desk and I always tell my players and I recruit them. I'm going to have a decision. It's either going to be my family or yours. And you better not make, make me make a decision for your family. Cause my family is more important, you know, as far as off the field or academic issues or anything like that. But I think it just comes down to having a plan. Like recruiting is about a plan. Like this country is huge. Just this, you know, we have, we can recruit Canada. We can recruit all there's, you're looking for eight to 10 players a year. So you look at your roster you say, what do you need? And then you try to have guys that have interest in your program. I don't beg guys to come play for me. I never have. I just don't believe in it. What I what I believe in is guys that want to be a part of our program, you know, and I tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm an honest recruiter. I tell it like it is. Some guys don't like that. Some guys, that's not for them. Some guys want the lights, as I say. They want to go to Power 5, and that's awesome. And I say, here's my number. If it doesn't work out, we'll be here for you. But I think you're intentional with your plan and you look at it from what fits your school, what fits your area. And Hey, not everyone's going to love Richmond, Kentucky, but a lot of the kids that do that come to Kentucky, they love it. I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity to be somewhere different. Our hub's been at Chicago and Atlanta, the two areas we have, uh, I think about 12 or, or so players, you know, in those two areas. And we we're five hour, six hour radius. It's pretty good. They can get home if they need to. And they have other guys that they know. Kenny, from a speaking out against injustice standpoint, uh, I mean, you've been with the police department for 25 years. Um, you know, just give a little bit of perspective on on your side of things. It's a tough job. Uh, you know, when, when I talk about the police department, I have to get permission from the Chicago Police Department to talk in depth about it. But it's a tough job on both sides. Uh, it's, you know, we have to find some type of balance. Uh between the people and the police department to uh, to make things work. It can't be one way or the other. We have to, uh, we have to as a society, figure out. We, we can't continue to let things get out of whack. And You've been in it for a while. Is it better than when you first started? I started 25 years ago as a young kid on the police department. And as, as you get older, you, you understand how, how to work with people better and talk to them better. And, 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 and use common sense when doing the job. So in that aspect, as a 25-year veteran, it's, it's much better for me right now. So, What are you telling the young guys that come into the force? Be smart. Find some balance between what the general orders are and common sense. And, and, and that's the main thing. Just use common sense when dealing with people. Be polite and be respectful to the people. And, and, and those are the main things. What are some resources for people? You know, Jackson and I watched the, the 13th. Actually, Jackson and I watched uh, The Five Bloods that came out last week. It's a Spike Lee movie about ex-Vietnam vets, um, which was a great movie. And I, I like Spike Lee's movies. But what are some other resources if people want to dive in that, that maybe don't know about everything that's going on right now? As far as what, what do you mean 
race relations, uh, systemic racism, anything that's that's going on right now. Any resources for people to maybe educate themselves? I just think people need to talk to each other and communicate with each other. I, I, I think one thing about sports is it's a it's a uh, it's a organization in which people of all facets of life, life like you said earlier, all races get together and they can just have real conversations inside the locker room. I mean, you have to build some type of bond to play together, whether it be basketball, football, or baseball. I think if we communicate more with each other and just talk with each other, uh, that things will become better, hopefully. But I think communication is big. I mean, whether it be uh, with the government or with uh, government officials or whether it be just day-to-day, just just talking with different people uh, and being open to listening to them and being open, and being open to hearing things that you might not want to hear. I talked to Kevin Coe this morning, and um, you know, I I've enjoyed our relationship, and I've known Kevin for a long time when he was with you guys, and you know, yeah, I've talked at length about things, and um, I don't know if you guys saw what's going on at Iowa right now. Gary Barter, their AD, had a press conference that was this week. He was 50 minute long talking about what's going on with their strength coach and the some of the changes they're trying to make with the program there, and. I'm paying attention just because I was there for for nine years, and and he was extremely emotional. But he brought up something. Uh, he talked about DWB driving while black. Are there any first instances for you guys out there that you had to go through? I mean, what was your first, or or if you had any, you know, what was your uh, initial? Um, did you have any initial instances uh, growing up? Yeah, I mean, I had. I um, I grew up in Maine, um, so I wasn't. Uh, wasn't many black folks uh, to begin with. And, and I remember I was playing independent ball. I was, um, I was coming home from, I don't know, the, the season or whatever. I had all my equipment and everything. And I think I stopped at, you know, a buddy's house and um, just to check in. I was like on the way. So I stopped, you know, hung out. And then later at night and I got pulled over and I didn't do it. I wasn't doing anything wrong. It just happened to be at a different neighborhood than, you know, where I lived and, and everything. And sure enough, I just got pulled over for no reason. And I said, why did I, why did I get pulled over? He's like, he never gave me a clear answer. He made me get out and, you know, all these questions that were just so wrong. And he made me realize that, man, it doesn't matter. You know, if I'm a baseball player, if I'm a, you know, it didn't matter. I just, I was just a black guy that was driving late and the guy just wanted to pull me over. Um, and he asked, why do I have baseball bats? He's like, questioning, he's like, well, you know, why do you have baseball bats in my trunk? I'm like, I try to explain I'm a professional baseball player. Like I need these things. So uh, he didn't really buy that. And, you know, it was like a whole mess and it was just, it didn't need to be, you know? So he definitely, I've had, I can I tell you, I have a whole bunch of, I had been dealing with some serious situations that just similar to Greg Floyd, but that's another conversation um, that I've been a part of in my own life. But um, yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, just people, assume certain things just because of how someone looks. And I think that's always back to back to respect. I think that's something you have to um, get back down to the basics as, as, as society, if we can respect each other as people, as humans, then, then we're in a better place. And I think we have such a, a, a lot of things going on that it, it makes it challenging. Blake, what about you? Yeah. Uh, similar story. Uh, I mean, uh, I've been pulled over a few times with no real reason of uh, had to get out of the car twice, had baseball equipment in the back and, why do you have all this baseball stuff? I mean, obviously I'm a baseball guy, but that goes over people's heads just because they don't associate a black guy's sport being baseball right away. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, it was my first year coaching at Penn state and driving from a camp. I don't know. It was in either Jersey or Connecticut. I forget where it was and said, I rolled a stop sign and there's no shot. I did. Cause I, I drive a stick shift truck that has to stop essentially just to, to get back going, um, but pulled me over and had to get out of the car. And, and you just, I mean, like uh, you're, you're taught at a young age, hands on the steering wheel. You tell them, I'm going to reach in the glove compartment for my, for my license. I'm going to reach for my registration. Um, so you're taught and you know how to, how to handle getting pulled over. I used to tell my friends, like, if you ever hear anything happen between me and a cop, you know it wasn't my fault because I know how to get pulled over. I, I've been pulled over 16 times and I've had one ticket. Um, and, and I can tell you, I've been pulled over for every little thing. Um, and, and some of it probably I get pulled over for, I get it. Um, uh, but a lot of it, I promise you, people don't even know you can get pulled over for it. Um, and if you only get one ticket, I think it's, 
it's a chance to try and do more digging on somebody or or try to try to find a reason to stir us something up. Kenny? Well, I mean, I, I've had my instances as, as a young adolescent uh, with police officers uh, growing up. But one of the things I was taught by my family members is that w- what you need to do when you're stopped by police officers and, and, and don't try to don't put yourself in a bad situation out there on the streets. Uh, uh, this was way before cameras came out that, that it was it was your word against their word. So, you know, I was taught to uh, be respectful, keep your hands on the steering wheel and and do what you needed to do in order to not have any problems with them. So, I mean, this, this, I mean I'm a policeman now, but I'm no different than any other African-American male growing up in an urban area. Uh, I've had my instances also. Juneteenth is tomorrow, and it is starting to just with everything that's going on. People are talking about it a little bit more. And you know, does Juneteenth mean anything to you guys? Do you guys celebrate it at all? Well, I didn't really know about Juneteenth honestly until I went to uh, college at the Kentucky State University, and in the state of Kentucky, they celebrate it. Uh, they have a big celebration every year, a big festival in Louisville every year. And so, uh, when I was in the, playing collegiate baseball in the summer, we would go to Louisville. And, and, and go to the festivities. So, you know, now I celebrated uh, uh, myself with my family uh, due to knowledge of learning about it from Kentucky State University where I went to college at. Edward Blake? Yeah, same thing. I went to, you know, I was at Howard University before they dropped baseball, and that was my first, you know, same thing, uh, obviously growing up. Uh, but, you know, obviously we're in Kentucky like uh, now, and they don't have all the events, but we'll still, with our family, we'll definitely, um, you know, tell it. That's the, uh, the thing just i mean i didn't learn about it just like these guys said until i was in college um so it's just like you don't learn enough in maybe the public schools um just what the curriculum is it's not diverse you don't hear everything i feel like you should uh and that's just um one of the many things that i think have to change i think you have to get a more diverse curriculum so people can learn these things i I didn't learn until i was in college from my grandma and uh and so now she makes it a point to to call me and we talk tomorrow is just kind of what we do. Um, but I, I do think it's crazy that, uh, e- even as a black guy, I hadn't, I hadn't learned about it. I hadn't heard about it until, until I'm 20 years old. You know, Kevin Coe actually, he, this is a, his question. Um, he's like, how can African American baseball community capitalize on the current state of the U S is there a way that we can capitalize on what's going on right now? I think, I mean, I, I can speak from the coaching standpoint. It's it's time for coaches like myself or any other, any other coach, a person of color to stand up and, and talk and, and, and get people understanding. I don't know if I got cut off earlier about just hiring people that look different than them, understanding that there's great coaches out there from different levels. Don't have to be necessarily a college, but they'd be great high school coaches out there that want to get into college that, that aspire to it. I think, um, you know, I was talking to, to Major League Baseball folks the other day about, Hey, all the players just got released from minor league baseball uh, that are trying to get their undergraduate degrees. Let them come back to schools, uh, to different programs and, and pair up um, and help them get into coaching. Let them finish their degree. Like there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. It, it just comes down to, to the action part of it. I think, you know, the more voice that we can have uh, anyway, small, small is better than none. And I think uh, if people are, it's important to them, they're going to, they're going to take the time to find a way to, to, to look at things differently um, especially in light of everything that's going on. I think that is our, is our time, you know, an opportunity to, to, to make some change in a lot of things we're doing. So uh, I appreciate, you know, just this platform myself just to be able to be on here. It's really an honor. I, I think that's where the third assistant comes into play because there'll be a lot of D1 schools out there that maybe can't hire another full-time assistant, but maybe could add a GA where even just that, if schools could add a GA position onto what they have, is going to allow guys to at least get their feet wet. And and then some of it is figure out if they want to do it, but at least get some experience there. I think that's where we can affect change at the Division One level is the third assistant part, where it may not be a full-time assistant, it may be a GA. Yeah, well, GA, you know, GAs can happen now. They can have what's called general GA manager, graduate managers. And you basically do all the same duties. You just kind of learn how to be a coach. You just can't coach first base and all those types of things in games, but there's ways you can do it. And then like football has got to figure it out. I mean, uh, you know, other sports have it figured out. Well, I don't know why baseball is always the last one to, to get it uh, worked out. But I know I've, I've utilized it. We've had a couple of minor leaguers in our program that have come back at their degrees and now they're moved on to a different program. So 
Um, I've tried it the last couple of years and it's, we've got a couple of new guys coming in this fall that um, it, it's, it's exciting to just help guys move on. And then I've hired a few of them, you know, in our program. So I think you just have to try it. Just have to do it. Can't be scared of it. You know, it's just, I mean, but if it's not important to you, then you won't do it. You know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, the, well, if any of the schools are looking uh, to build a better diverse roster, I have some diverse players that they can come out and recruit. Yeah, right. <laughs> Kenny, in your experience, you've been doing this since 2007 with the ACE program. Um, more kids go Southern schools, more kids go Northern schools. Is it split 50-50? You know, in your experience, where where are you guys going? Right now, right now we've, uh, we're starting to go different places around the country. When we first started, our kids were going more south. Uh, 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 we were more going to the HBCUs between the SWAC, uh, the, uh, CIAA, the SIAC. We had a couple of guys to go to the MEAC. But now we're starting to go to mid-majors and more power five schools, uh, Louisville. We had kids at Louisville, Vanderbilt, Michigan, Eastern Kentucky. Uh, uh, so so, so it's look, getting a little bit more open. Uh, we, we, we got a couple of guys that are, we have a guy at Illinois. We were, we, at first we weren't getting as many Illinois schools to, uh, to work with us, but now we're starting to get more and more kids. We have a kid at Illinois. We have a kid at, at Illinois state. So we, we're starting to get a little bit more Midwest. we got Purdue, kids to produce. So it's, it's a little bit more Midwestern, uh, now, uh, more than it was before, but we, we did really good in the South when we first started the program. Seems like Todd Ryan at Kirkwood has has had some kids over as well. Seems like there's some kids coming over to the Iowa side too, to the junior college. Oh job. yeah, Iowa was actually the first Power Five school that took our kids with Blake Hickman and Devin yep. Pickett. Yep. So so they, they, they really thankful. And Western Illinois was like the actual first mid-major non-HBCU that actually offered our kid a scholarship. I coached at both places. So yeah, baby. I, well, I mean. I don't care. Like, I don't care where you're from. Like, I don't care what you look like. That doesn't, that never mattered to me. I, if they were a good person and I could have a conversation with them and they were a good baseball player, like that, that was good enough for me. Like I didn't care. And it, it helped our programs, both programs. It, it helped immensely. Um, I think the more people you can get involved from different backgrounds, you're going to have a much better roster. You're going to end up having a tighter team and it allows them to navigate society after they're done with college better because they've been around different people. Like I think it helps them be successful in whatever they end up doing later on because they've been exposed to, to different backgrounds and different people. Like, I just think that's the the best way that you should do it. And I may be out and abnormal in that way, but again, I'm lucky that I grew up in the household that I grew up in. I grew up in Southern Indiana, um, could be backwards in some areas, but was lucky that I, I grew up in a house where both parents were great people and treated people the right way. So by example, by watching their example of how they treated people, it, it showed me the way. And, I, you know, hopefully I can do that for my kids. And when they get out in the real world and are around people that are different from them, they don't treat them any different. And I'm trying to lead by example as well. Kenny, are we any better right now in 2020 than we were in 1968? Some of the same issues that we have going on today. And that's uh, sad we, for me. It's sad for me. So, so you know, uh, we, we hope that hope that uh, things will get better. We, we, we need to have better relationships with everyone um, to, to, to make, make, make this work. And, and, and right now it seems that we're a little stagnant at this time. Blake and Edwin, and and on in your perspective, you know, say someone says something. If I'm a person that obviously disagrees with them mistreating somebody, how do I how do I verbalize that? How do I vocalize that? Because obviously you're going to put yourself out there if if you say something. How can, can how can someone approach that topic? Like, hey man, you shouldn't have said that. I, I think that's it, dude. I disagree. Yep. Um, I I think just having the courage to stand up. If you, if you truly believe something, you truly don't believe in something, you got to be willing to say it. Uh, you can't um, just, just not be heard. If you, if you think something's definitely wrong um, and you let it go, then you're just as wrong. Uh, and I don't think it ha you have to overcomplicate it and how you attack. It. I don't care what you say. If you just got to say something, if you know something's not right. Um, Cause I, I do think that that silence is, is just, 
allowing things to, to continue. You're complicit with it. If, if you don't say anything, like you're complicit right. with it, you know, it's basically like yeah, you're I, agreeing I, with it. I think honesty, you know, I go, like Blake said, just, just be honest. I think, I think in this world, people don't like honest, uh, not everybody, but just in my growing up, how I was raised, like if, if I struck out on a bad third strike, my dad would say, I would come back and complain. He'd be like, well, you missed the first two. The last one might've been a ball, but that's on you. That's just how I was raised. And I think a lot of that has to do how, how I coach and how I talk to people. And some people look at that as like, wow, this guy's really just telling how he feels, but that's just how I am. And I think, you know, whether it be, you know, a player, you know, saying something the wrong way or, or cussing in public in front of kids, like I'm going to tell you how it is and how that's not acceptable. No different than if you see something, do something wrong to somebody else or say something about something else in the locker room. Like we talked about that the other day. It's just like, we have to be able to have those conversations. And if you don't, it's not like tough conversations and you know, you're gonna have a tough time in life to be successful because life is difficult There's nothing easy about it. And to navigate, like you said earlier, those things have to be able to have those conversations, whether how big or how small, but they have to have them. And, and I think any time is better than, than no time. And we did have a diverse roster at, at Western when the Kaepernick stuff was going on. So we used the classroom session to talk about the, the kneeling and why he was kneeling just to get that open because I wanted to kind of head it off at the pass to make sure that one, we weren't having any issues on our team like that. I wanted to get it out just to make sure that that we weren't having any issues within our roster because especially as a head coach, you don't always hear you know, Blake, enjoy your time as an assistant because once you become a head coach, then your relationship. <laughs> Am I right, Edwin? Hundred percent. Hey, do you feel like that's your the biggest difference between being an assistant and being a head coach is just because you're writing guys' name in the lineup, they treat you different? Oh, there's not even a question. <laughs> my, my first year, I was just like, I, I really don't. They, I don't know if the guys like me. You know, like at the day, like you know, I took over the program and everything, and it's just like. Have a different perspective. You know, as an assistant, you're there to to be to be loyal, to be there, the head coach. But the guys are going to talk to you. They're going to tell you so much more than they, they, they tell me. And I'm just like, really, that guy doesn't, you know, said this, and you just don't know. And, and you know, everything that's kinda- what I missed most about being an assistant was you just didn't yeah. get the same stories that you got that the, I was <laughs> yeah. jealous of the assistants because I knew yeah. they were getting all the good stuff and I, yeah. they were buttoning up. Their lips were sealed <laughs> when I would walk around, walk by them. Just enjoy being an assistant. That's what I've told. So absolutely. What are the Don't biggest to be a head coach? What are the biggest things we need to see go away right now? That's a good question. In society or in yeah. baseball? <laughs> well, you can give me both. I mean, that's why we're here. I want to yeah, hear both. I think, I think society um, just judging somebody for the way they look. I mean, I, it sounds simple. It sounds basic, but just treating people with respect. Um, I think that's as simple as it gets. I think it's like, you know, I talked to, I talked to our guys about how you want to treat a woman, you know, would you talk to somebody in your family, your sister, your mother that way? Well, then don't say that. Same thing. Would you treat your, somebody else that way? That's somebody else's mother. That's somebody else's father. That's somebody else's son. Like don't, you know, so those type of things, those conversations. Um, and then baseball wise, I think the same conversation are real. You know, why not look at players that may not look like you, but they can help your team win. At the end of the day, that's a goal. You know, but then also, how can you impact those people once you once once you get there? Um, is always the goal, at least for me. And I think those type of things, those conversations, are so real. But just trying to get away the biases of just, you know, yeah, the guy may have dreadlocks, but he may be a doctor. You know, he doesn't. You know, it's just he may not be a bad person. You know, just that perception. Like, you know, I may be a baseball coach just because I look different. I actually may I actually may be the head coach of a team, and we have uniforms and the whole deal. We're <laughs> like. They always go to my, you know, some of this non-black on my staff and they're like, oh, that must be the head coach, they assume. And, you know, all those type of things. They're just the, those those type of assumptions, I think, just I try to really live my life in that way. We always think of certain things, but, man, it's just, if we could get that, we I think we'd be better as a society. But I'm not a politician. I'm just a coach. <laughs> Blake? I, that's pretty good. Um, I think the one thing just uh, – and, and you have to love – how accessible everybody is, uh, how easy it is to connect with people and, and social media, what it's done. Um, but man, it gives everybody a voice. And I'm not sure sometimes everybody needs a voice. Uh, I just think sometimes you get too much, uh, too much noise, too much um, just 
destruction for no reason because everybody feels like they're important enough to be heard. Um, and I think some of that just goes over the top uh, on all ends of the spectrum. Uh, I think somewhere uh, the truth in the middle, you got to find the balance point, especially in that social media world where, where everybody gets to be heard. Everybody has an opinion. I just think sometimes that gets a, a little much in my, my mind. Well, and reading's abrasive. Like if you read something, it's going to come off a lot more abrasive than if you have a conversation with somebody. Kenny, what about you? No what doubt are, about what it. are the biggest things we need to see go away right now? Well, I mean, I just think that everybody needs to be open-minded to each individual, each individual ball player that they deal with. I think that you have to treat each person as an individual and not just uh, label them and put them in a certain category. I mean, if you if you talk with people and communicate with people, you find you might find them interesting. If you look at them with open with an open mind, you might find you a great ball player or even a great person, whether it be baseball or whether it be just in life in general. So just be open minded. A lot, a lot of people and the big problem I, I think people have in these times is they're closed minded. They just want to put everybody in one category instead of being open minded and learning to. Uh, see that individual for himself or herself. What about the biggest things we need to keep? Ed, when you need, st- go ahead, Blake. I think we need to keep the, uh, the conversations right now. Um, I, I think this isn't something that we can forget about in, in six months. I agree. Um, Cause like, I don't want it to be a flash in the pan. Like it seems like every time every, and we've had a lot lately, like you can look at, I mean, and it's still happening but it seems like people get hot and bothered and it kind of, that's what the society we're in right now is everybody wants it quick. So we get hot and bothered by something and, and everybody raises their voice, but then two weeks later it's back to the way it was. And so no I, doubt. you know, Edwin, what about you? Like I, besides keeping the conversation going. Yeah. I mean, there's no quick fix to anything that it, that takes time. You know, I mean, we live in an area, everything's instant, everything's happened so fast. And I think, like we talk about as coach, understand the process. Okay, what is our process? Well, the change, we got to make sure we get people out to vote, make sure our players are voting, make sure we, we vote, make sure you have some sort of understanding of your area, your local government, um, and then work your way from your school, from your, you know, how can you, what can you do for yourself? And I think that self, that, that if anything, this time has allowed, at least me, to really understand that, man, there's a lot that I need to be better at. Just thinking about all the different things. How can I improve in my own personal space? And if we all can do that, like we talk about that 1% better, all that stuff, but those type of things have to be consistent over the time and, and not just take no for an answer, not just not have players not get recruited because they look differently or they're in the, or they're, they're in the, they're a different area that I don't want to go out and recruit. Well, if you're, you know, you have to have those type of conversations. I think the more we can do that as a society, the better we'll be, but you know, that's just, um, keeping things and it's going to take a little bit of time. You know, not going to happen overnight. I think mean, that's kind of my thing would just be keep, keep guys, keep pressing, you know, keep pressing on in that sense. Kenny, you're right in the heart of it there in Chicago. I mean, what, what are your perspectives on that? I just think we just need to continue to be progressive as a society moving into the right direction of trying to work with each other and, uh, you know, kind of level the playing field, uh, with everyone, you know, uh, you know, that's all you ask for is to be treated fairly and respectfully and given the, given the same opportunities that everyone else has uh, been given. And uh, you, you just you just want that. You just want you just want that. And, and, and hopefully we'll continue to be progressive and move into that, that, that uh, direction with, with the things that's going on right now. Any final thoughts for you guys? I appreciate you having us on. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. I hope people listen to this and and aren't afraid to, to reach out if they have questions um, about how to have these conversations with your team, how to, how to make change, how to move forward, um, and how to, how to kind of just, just, again, go get better as a society, as a baseball world. Um, how can we get better? Just be open-minded to it. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously a lot of different people on this call that are listening, I think, um, you know, from a baseball standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, if you're a college recruiter, or you're a high school coach. How do you promote baseball within your own program to kids that may not look like the traditional baseball player on paper? I'd love to be able to have that conversation with you. If you want looking looking for looking for coaches that uh, may not look for you, you want to hire somebody that looks different, let me know. I have a long list of great coaches that are out there. Um, there's a lot of things going on that we can do to, to change, but it all starts with us as individuals. 
as leaders to make sure that number one, that we're making the best uh, decisions we can to help our team and our program, um, but ultimately continue to have change. Uh, it takes time. So just keep, keep pushing on. Like uh, Kenny said, from my end, I just, uh, everybody to, to open their eyes and just see what's going on around them and, and just take, take a look at, at things and ask yourself, do you, is, is certain people treated differently or, uh, uh, or fairly and just hopefully when you open your eyes you'll be able to give everyone the same equal opportunities that you give everyone else and that's just one just want everyone to keep to, to open your eyes and just look and just think about it uh some of the you know that, that, that those are some of the things that i hope that uh that that co comes out of this and you guys stay with me too like as we need to continue the conversation stay with me because i'm i'm here to help so i appreciate you guys coming on it means a lot Thanks for thank having you. us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Juneteenth uh, was this past Friday, uh, June 19th. Uh, Juneteenth is a holiday celebrated on the 19th of June to commemorate the emancipation of enslaved people in the U.S. The holiday was first celebrated in Texas, uh, where on the date in 1865, uh, in the aftermath of the Civil War, Slaves were declared free under the terms of the 1862 Emancipation Proclamation. In order to affect change in our communities and as a whole in the country, we need to keep the conversation going. Finding common bonds will be one of the ways that we all help baseball and society improve. Uh, please feel free to reach out to me at rbrownlee at abca.org if you have ideas and ways that the ABCA can help. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the ABCA. Thanks and leave it better for those behind you.